Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The reading today from God's Word before our sermon is going to be 1 Kings 11, 1 through 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidomites, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place in Chemosh, Chemosh for the abomination of Moab and the hill that is east of Jerusalem and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and he had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and I have and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant good morning I want you to open God's book please to first Kings chapter 1 that's where the sermon will begin now you need to be able to see a Bible for this sermon to mean a lot to you because we're going to be traveling through pretty quickly I have a number of passages that I want to draw to the surface but you can have them starting at first Kings chapter 1 one, and then we're going to walk on through. I want to take you to a place called Dan. I, I, but uh, first I want to tell you why I'm dressed like this. My friend Randy DeHerty walked up to me a while ago and said, going fishing? <laughs> that wasn't as bad as what Paul did though. I'm going to tell you what Paul did. We, uh, we had it all planned out, you know flying all the way back, layovers and all that sort of thing. And we, the way it worked was that it was supposed to be Atlanta last night at seven at 11 o'clock. We fly here 11 o'clock and then go home and get some rest and come back this morning and all would be well. And instead what happened is they said, we're canceling. I mean, we were in Atlanta last night. They canceled the flight. And so they said, you can uh, pick up a flight this morning at 8 and so that's, you know, well, so the time worked out in such a way that it came down to this. I preached dressed like this, 
or we don't get to come to West Huntsville. So you see what the decision obviously was. Anyway, I, uh, we had, by the time we got to Atlanta, we'd already been traveling 24 hours straight. And it's a long way off. Israel's a long way off. And Italy's a long way off. Anyway, I had about 10 minutes back there in the office to get myself together. And uh, Paul just, he said hello, and he walked in with some sort of cologne and went, psh, psh, psh. <laughs> I told you, he, he, he's like that. He's like that. The nation of Israel on a, a Palestine, when you look on a map, is not very big. It's only about 150 miles from Dan down to the bottom, which is Beersheba, from the north to the south, right there on the Mediterranean Sea. It's not very big. The, the southern part is uh, dry. Talk about where Abraham walked. It is dry and rocky, and, and you can see pictures. And you go to Masada and those kinds of places, and it, were it not for the fact that they dig the deep cisterns, Deep, deep holes in the ground that are, oh my, some of them are from here to the teenagers or, or perhaps even wider. And they're, they're terribly deep. And what happens is they get a couple of rains a year there in those dry regions and they fill them up. That's how come at Masada those people could have sustained for a couple of years uh, up there without anybody coming up because they had those cisterns full of water. That's the southern part. But when you come up to the top part, which is Dan... Oh, oh! It's it's the opposite. It's it's what you think about when you think about Canaan flowing with milk and honey. That's Dan. There are streams of water with rushing water through them all the time, and it's green and lush and beautiful. And up there on Dan, it's where you find the ruins of Jeroboam's altar. I think that if I had my way. Every man considering becoming an elder in the Lord's church would have to go and, and spend a day sitting there at Dan, just sitting there and, and grasping it. Uh, it because it would mean so much. I, I, I enjoyed every song you chose, Stephen, but my favorite one today was Ancient Words. Ancient Words. I want to talk about Dan. Now, to do that, I want to start in 1 Kings chapter 1, and I want to give you the background that brings us up to Dan. Now, Jeroboam, and I hope that means something to you, Jeroboam was the king when the, the kingdom of Israel split, ten tribes and two tribes. And he was the one on the, the ten tribes. He was the one that drove uh, the Israelites into this idolatry. And what was happening at Dan was uh, in the altar that I'm going to show you in a couple of minutes, or at least the ruins of it there was a golden calf. And when, when Jeroboam took the throne of Israel and pulled off these ten tribes, he put a golden calf at Dan to worship. And then he put one down at Bethel. So you have a distance apart, and, and it makes just such pragmatic sense because you, it's convenient to where you live. You don't have to go back to Jerusalem where God said... We can do it this way, and I've got you some golden calves. Can you know you love the, you love the idols? You can be like the nations around you in Canaan. You can worship these golden images, and so that's what happened at Dan. I want to give you the rest of the story. I want to give you the backdrop to this, and so we start here now. To prep you for Jeroboam, 
remember that while he's not the greatest king, I mean, he's evil, but I mean, he's not the most noteworthy king in the kinds of things that you might think about. What made him noteworthy is that he was the one who ruled at this pivotal time when the kingdom just split apart. And it's never going to come back together again. I mean, it, uh, it never pulled back into one nation of Israel again. And these words, Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. And here's a phrase, a terminology that's used over and over and over in the Old Testament. And so God elevates this idea. I want you to remember Jeroboam. I want you to remember that he's the one who caused Israel to sin. Well, there were others, of course, but, but Jeroboam was special because he was at, at this pivotal moment. So let me give you some examples. First Kings sixteen twenty five. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse, worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Second Kings 3.3, 3, not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar, pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. 2 Kings 10, 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. That is from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. 2 Kings 13, 2. Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria, reigned 17 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and did and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, he did not depart from them. One more, 2 Kings 14, 24. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart at all, not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. And so he is distinguished by this phrase throughout the Old Testament after this. He made Israel to sin. Well, the only one, but it was at a critical moment, a moment when Israel breaks apart and follows this idolatry. But there are some hidden things here that I want to raise to the surface this morning and get you to think about in reference to this man named Jeroboam. We start with King David's death in chapter 1. Now, that he, that he got old and died is not a surprise. The political aspect of wanting the kingdom or wanting the throne is rather striking. So, Adonijah, one of his older sons, now bear in mind that, he, that David was polygamous, had several wives. Bathsheba was Solomon's wife. But, but before David died, Adjaniah had himself declared king, which is just kind of spooky, don't you think? His father was still alive. The king was still alive. But he had this, this to do, and he invited some, some, some important people to come, and they celebrated long live the king, Adjaniah. Adjaniah and so... That, that was just very interesting. David the king had nothing to do with that. And, and Nathan the prophet goes to Bathsheba, David's, one of David's wives, and says, eh, here's what's happening. You know, they've crowned him king. I think you need to go to, to David and talk this over because David has said that Solomon's going to be king. And so Bathsheba went to David, very feeble, near death, and said, do you know that Ajaniah has been crowned king, and, and David said, no, he didn't know, and well, you, you swore that, that Solomon would be king, and so David fixed it. 
David declared before Nathan the prophet and some others that, that it would be Solomon. And so that's how this happens. So in chapter 1, Solomon becomes king. Now, when you get to chapters 3 and chapter 6 and chapter 8, you learn a lot about Solomon. And you've got to love Solomon, you know, because of his wisdom. And so God early on says, what would you have me give you? And you remember this from when you were a child. And, and Solomon, much like David, his father, with a humble heart, says, I don't, I'm, I'm just like a kid. I'm, I'm like a child. I don't know how to rule the people of Israel. I'm the king, but I don't know what I'm doing. And gave, God was very pleased with his humility. And so God says, because you didn't ask for riches or for honor, I'm going to give you that wisdom you're asking for, but I'm also going to give you riches and honor. And there wasn't anybody There was no one like Solomon because God heaped these blessings on him. In chapter 6, Solomon starts building the temple, and it is simply magnificent. When you want to know something about the heart of Solomon at this time, you read the dedication of the temple in chapter 8 of 1 Kings. And, And Solomon dedicating this magnificent temple now finished. I just, just let me give you an excerpt from it so that you'll know the kind of heart Solomon has. I'm in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. And so Solomon is praying to God in front of all the people of Israel. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet... Regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God. And listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear... Forgive. Don't you love that? That's Solomon. That's King Solomon. The the, the finishing of of that temple. Now, the temple is gone, of course. The dirt, the place where it was, and there are ruins around there. And and we were there last week, are still there. And there's a lot that you can see, and a good bit of it, which is still original. But um, here's the heart of Solomon. Now you get to chapter 9. I'm going to read another passage to you, beginning in the first verse. This is going to be important. And here is God reminding Solomon of God's law. And, and so you say, well, Solomon is such a righteous man, he doesn't need it. No, everybody needs this. That's how come we have preaching and teaching every, every Lord's Day and through the week. We keep, you know, Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what we have to do. And so here is a reminder from Jehovah to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. When he finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your supplication that you've made before me. I've consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But... 
If you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, the temple, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, the temple, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Then the next line says, and that's the warning from God. I mean, it is, that's stout. That's stout. You be faithful to me and I'm going to stick with you and you'll be my people and I'll make sure things are well. But if you don't, I'm telling you, here's what's going to happen. The next line says, but the wealth and power of King Solomon continued to rise. And that brings us to chapter 10. And you have the Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba comes to see Solomon and the the riches and the grandeur and the temple. And she concluded at the end of that, the the half has never been told. This is amazing. And now chapter 11. Now chapter 11 is pivotal because this has to do with the women. Now, whatever I'm about to say that criticizes women, I don't mean any of you. Okay. So I'm telling you, the women messed him up bad. They really messed him up. So here's verse 1. I'm in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, verse 1. Women of the Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites, where God had said, you shall not intermarry with these Canaanite people. Don't you be doing that. That's in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4, if you want to put that into the margin of your Bible. A direct, explicit command, don't you marry them. Because, and then he explains why. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He explains why I don't want you to marry them. It's because if you do, they will pull your heart away from Jehovah. Don't you be doing that. Don't you be following their gods. That's what's going to happen, so don't marry them. The Bible says that Solomon clung to these in love. Gary read this a while ago. And Solomon had 700 wives. Bear in mind that he loved some of them, but not all of them. These these were political things. They they were alliances that he was making with other nations. 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, which is just kind of a fancy way to say adultery. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not so loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord. It's what Deuteronomy 7 said would happen. If you marry, intermarry with these other faiths, the Canaanitish idolatrous faiths, that's what's going to happen. And it did. Listen, then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon, they did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned their incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, 
because you've done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely listen closely. This is important. I think it's important because I think that, that if we don't get this, we come out with the wrong conclusion, which is that you have, you have Saul and he was this kind of king. Then you had David and David was a great king and he was faithful to God and all that David did. And then you have Solomon and Solomon was like his dad and Solomon was just a great, great king and so terribly wise. And then you have Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the kingdom splits and, and all of that. It's not really accurate. What's accurate is that Solomon married the women and became idolatrous and promoted idolatry in Israel. Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. That's going to be the son of Solomon, Rehoboam. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I'll give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And what I want to impress you with is that, and now I'm, I'm going to show you this. Uh, let's go ahead and do the picture. That's where the altar was. That metal structure you see there is to give you an idea about the size of the altar of Jeroboam here at Dan. This is Dan. And that man over there is not me, but that's where I was preaching. And you see the ruins. And of course, it was a much larger structure originally, but that's what this is. This is Dan, where Jeroboam set up that altar. Now, I want to leave this picture up for a while as we finish up the sermon. Now, we're still in chapter 11. Verse 27 says that the reason that Jeroboam rebelled against Solomon was because God told him to do it. God told him to do it. What Solomon, uh, what Jeroboam does is to go out, he's in a field, and there's a prophet called Ahijah. And Ahijah, prophet of God, comes out, and so they have this private conversation. Ahijah has this garment, and when he gets with Jeroboam, he rips it into 12 pieces, just rips it up, and he hands him 10 of them. And it's very much like Samuel, when Samuel privately says to David, God wants you to be the new king. This is very much like that. Jeroboam, God wants you to be the new king, and he's going to give you ten tribes of Israel, and you're going to lead in Israel. Now chapter 12, Solomon has died. After the prophet has told Jeroboam this, and it's not going to happen today or tomorrow, there's going to be a period of time, but he told him that's going to happen. Well, Solomon hears about it, and Solomon, just, just like Saul did when, when David had been chosen to be the next king, Saul pursued David to kill him. The same thing happens with, with Jeroboam here. The prophet tells him he's going to be the next king, and Solomon gets word of it, and so he wants to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam goes to Egypt to hide out. Well, Solomon's dead now, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is going to be crowned the new king. Rehoboam doesn't know anything about this I don't suppose he fully expects to be the king and to take the throne well they crown him and Rehoboam then the son of Solomon is the new king but not for very long in chapter 12 you have the crowning in Shechem but when that happened the 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 Israelites 
the men of Israel got with Jeroboam. They went back up to Egypt and they found him and they said, you got to come back down and let's talk to Rehoboam. Rehoboam's kind of nutty. He's kind of crazy about how he's going to rule Israel and things are very unsettled. Jeroboam comes back down and they make an appeal to Rehoboam, the new king, and say, you know, if you will be good to the people, they will serve you. Let's be a team and work together and be a loving and good king. And they're going to serve you with all their hearts. But, but if, you, if you rule them with an iron fist, then you're in danger of splitting the kingdom. Rehoboam says to Jeroboam and all these Israelites, you go away for three days and come back and I'll tell you my decision. Well, then he gets counsel, as you remember, from the older men and the younger men. The older men say what Jeroboam is saying. Be nice to the people. Be good to the people. Let's make this a team effort and work together and we're all brothers. The younger men said, nothing doing, nothing doing. What you need to do is to show them what, who the boss says. And what you do is you rule and make their burdens harder. And then you'll make a great leader. And people remember your name after you're dead. And Rehoboam was foolish and went with those younger ones. And the kingdom just came right apart. So here's what Israel said. This is chapter 12 and verse 15. What share have we in David? We have no, no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. Now, Rehoboam thought that he could make this work. He, he thought he could make this fly. And he could be king anyway. So he sent a tax collector among all the people of Israel to draw taxes. This is in chapter 12, verse 18. Adoram was his man. And do you know what the, the men of Israel did to Adoram? They took his life. That's, that's what they thought of Rehoboam's taxation. They thought of what they thought of Rehoboam being king. They weren't going to follow Rehoboam. Enough is enough, and so they, they quit it. Jeroboam is crowned. You have two kings now. For the first time, you've got these two kings serving simultaneously, and one of them is approved by God, and his name is Jeroboam. The other one is Rehoboam. God's had enough of this. God's had enough of Solomon's idolatry. And he said, I'm going to rent the kingdom away from your sons, Solomon. And his name will be Rehoboam. That's who it is. Rehoboam then starts assembling an army. We're going to have a civil war. I'll show you who the boss is. I'm king, not this Jeroboam guy. I'm going to take it back. And it gets 180,000. Even though he's just got two tribes out of the 12, he's much smaller than Israel. Let's fight. I'm ready to fight. 180,000. And God stopped him. God said, you're not going to do this because what's going on right now with Jeroboam and these 10 tribes is from me. God said, I'm doing this. I did this. Go on back to the house. And that's what happened. Now, the next thing is shocking to me. And that is that Jeroboam, who was a good man, I mean, you know, you read about he was industrious and Solomon loved him and he was a hard worker and he supported Solomon, you know, as a young man and all of that. And now he's king. Now he's on the throne. And you expect good things of him because God chose him to be king. But that's not what happened. As soon now as Rehoboam's out of the way, Jeroboam is the king and he, he immediately takes a hard left turn. It's because he believes that, that this present situation with Rehoboam. Rehoboam's been pushed aside. The kingdom is divided. He doesn't think it's going to last. He thinks what's going to happen is that the people will sort of migrate back to Jerusalem. They'll become one kingdom again and that they will kill 
Jeroboam. They don't need Jeroboam after that. So Jeroboam needs to create in his mind a new religion. Stop. Can you believe that? I mean, after all, think about all that Jeroboam has seen, the very idea that he would, he would transgress the will of God. What is it that he's just seen? He's seen Solomon and he's seen Rehoboam. And what happens when the leaders pursue idolatry, they forsake God to pursue idolatry, what happens to them? And he's just now watched it. He's just now seen it. The last thing you would expect to happen is what happened, which is that Jeroboam shouted to the people and said, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to set up a golden calf at Dan there and one down at Bethel, and you can worship there. And this business about the priests having to be from the tribe of Levi, we're going to do away with that too in the times of worship. And so he just changes the religion to make it more accommodating and more comfortable for the people. He turned, he took a hard left turn in direct violation of the Lord's command. You remember in the Ten Commandments, the first couple of them, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of anything on the earth, under the earth. And that's exactly what happened here at Dan and Bethel. That's exactly what he did. Okay, one more thing about Jeroboam. Then we're going we're to do a couple of takeaways. In chapter 14, this uh, prophet, Adijah, Ironically, the prophet who had told him he's going to be king in the beginning is now going to tell him he's done. Jeroboam's child is sick. He knows that he can't, he can't personally go to, to Adijah, the prophet, so he sends his wife. Adijah now is old and he can't see good. And, and so Jeroboam sends his wife because they want to know, is their child going to live or die? And he knew the prophet could tell him that. So he sends his wife with some bread and some honey. And you give him this gift and ask him, just don't tell him who you are. He won't know. And give him this gift and then say, is our child going to live or die? And when she's on her way, God says to Adijah, Jeroboam's wife's coming. Here's what she's going to ask you. Here's what I want you to tell her. And it is this. She gets there. He greets her. Hello, Jeroboam's wife. I'm sure she was not pleased about that. He said, you go tell your husband Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel. I'm in chapter 14 and verse 6. Because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. Yet you have not been as, as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. You've gone and made yourself for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast, listen closely, have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I'll take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse, trash, until it's all gone. The dogs shall eat whatever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. The birds of the air shall eat whatever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, Adijah says to Mrs. Jeroboam, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he's the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. Because in him there's found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. 
Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He'll uproot Israel from the good land which he gave their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they've made their wooden images, provoking the Lord to anger. He'll give up Israel because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned, and are you ready for this? And who made Israel sin. So there it is. I just think that it would be right for, for leaders, preachers in the church to come and spend some time at Dan and sit there and read these passages of Scripture and, and read, read, learn from the history of these ancient things. Three, three quick takeaways. The first one is this. The church needs to choose her leaders very carefully. When we say we need elders and preachers, with particularly elders, with wisdom, what we, what we mean is that they, 1 Timothy 3, they have to be older men, but not just older men. They have to be older men who have garnered through their time, wisdom, because they pay attention to the past. They pay attention to history. They know how to predict the future based on the history. But I'm not just talking about the history of their own lives. I'm talking about the history biblically of Dan and Bethel and all these kinds of things, the Old Testament, from which we learn. When you get around the Jews in Israel, you go to Jerusalem, and you have you have the people who are dressed like Jews. What's really impactful among all of it is that the little boys are dressed up with the little things and they have hair that's curly down like this and, and they march around following their rabbi, following their leader or their mentor. And it's clear what's happening is that they're training those boys in Judaism. They're training them early and they grow up and you see all the different stages and all of that. See them in front of the wailing wall uh, praying and conducting their prayers. We, we need to make sure that we're training our boys, young, to be great leaders in the church. And part of that is that, that we teach them the past. We must teach them the history, not just in their own lives, but the history of the Israelite people and, and that they can grasp what happened in places like Dan and God's attitude toward it. Here's number two. We need to choose... Uh, this is for you guys over here. You, you need to marry a faithful Christian. You hold out on who you marry until you can find somebody who can help you get to heaven. Uh, and you, you may find yourself in, in, a, in a time of your life when you really love somebody who's not interested in the things of God or who, will, who wants to, to practice a religion that conflicts with the Bible. You hold off and find you a faithful Christian. Because we know something about Solomon. And Solomon was such a great man. There was so much good to him. And he was so faithful to the Lord until he started marrying these women. And the Bible says it was those women that, that drew his heart away. And of course, this is applicable both ways. It's applicable to your, you girls and to you boys. Let's just learn this lesson. That you had this terrible decline in Israel, and it started with Solomon marrying these women who were members of these religions, part of these religions around them in Canaan. And God said, don't marry those people. And that's exactly what they did. That's what Solomon did. And what God said would happen, happened. Here's number three in the final one. <clears throat> Christians, we've got to choose to follow the New Testament scriptures exclusively for our faith and our life. A congregation of the Church of Christ is autonomous 
And it's kind of like Israel in this. We can't fall into the same trap as they did. You think about the religions around us right now <clears throat> and all the different varying things that are being practiced and taught in religions, even among those who wear the name of Christ in some way, all around us. And, and quite a, a wide diversity. We flew last night on a plane with a man who is, uh, has a role in a church in Huntsville, and he was saying, boy, we've got to get this flight because our band hasn't rehearsed yet, and so we'll only have an hour or so to rehearse before church in the morning. And I thought, we, we, don't, we don't do a lot of rehearsing at West Huntsville. We just, <laughs> we, we just say, you know, you know why we do that? Because that's what the Bible says. That's why. And, and we eat the Lord's Supper. And you know why we do that? Because that's what the Bible says. That's what, that's what they did. And you think about all the religions today that have gone so... You, you go to the Vatican. It's, it's a palace. I've never seen a palace like this before. Containing... 70,000 priceless artifacts, 70,000, over five miles of, of walking that you can do through the Vatican. It costs you about $20 to walk through admission, and so you have these, <clears throat> you have the guards and all that, that, that uh, you run your bag through a, a detector, and it's huge, and, and then, anyway, you pay your 20 or so dollars, and there are 37,000 people who come through in an average day. Go ahead. I know what's happening. You're calculating money. Of course you are, but it's all about money. You can't believe. You can't imagine. I'm talking about billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that are there behind these high walls of this nation of Catholicism and the king is the pope. And, and then you get to thinking, you know, what? wait a minute, wait a minute. That's from Jeroboam. That's, that's, what that is, is is that I'm not satisfied with the church of the New Testament. And I'm telling you, there's, there's so many, there's hundreds of different ways that you could play this out, but you and I must cling to the old cross. What we've got to do is to cling to the New Testament of Jesus Christ. Whoso hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on a rock. What's your house, what's your house on? Where's your house built? I thought it was kind of funny. You know, I, I, I've never been to the Vatican before. We did that the other day. And... I got to thinking about the New Testament and, and the, the building in which we worship. I don't mean necessarily this one. I just mean, where does the church worship? And the answer is that the Bible is indifferent about this. Not only does it not command us to do this, um, this thing that costs billions and billions of dollars, the Bible's indifferent about it. You know why? Because the house of God is not a physical building. The house of God is people. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And that you and I are spiritual stones in this house. And what do we do for worship? We do what the New Testament says. What do we call one another? We call each other what the, what the scripture says. How are we organized in, our, in, our, in the church? And the answer is we're organized the way the New Testament says. Where did we learn that? Well, you learned it a number of places. But one place is Jeroboam. Who made Israel to sin. How would you do that, Jeroboam? Well, I, I just drew them away. I, I created some golden calves, and I told them a different place than Jerusalem where God said for them to come. I, I, I created different kinds of hierarchy. I just kind of manipulated the, the uh, Israel and their practices. How'd that work out for you? God rejected me just like he did Solomon, just like he did Rehoboam, and those, all those wicked kings after that. We don't have entertainment-based worship in the church. We don't. A lot of churches around us do. We don't have women leaders. We don't have a national headquarters. We don't have a president or a king or a pope. You know why? It's the Jeroboam lesson. 
That's why. It's the lesson at Dan. It's the lesson at that altar. Because it's not going to turn out good. But I tell you what a beautiful thing is. You ready for this? The church of my Lord is a beautiful thing. Right? Aren't you glad to be a Christian? Keep the world. Keep the world. Give me Jesus. I just want Jesus. I want to be part of his body, which is his church, for which he died. I know that's true because he said, on this rock, I will build my church. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I just want to be a Christian. I know that's true about you. Thank you for listening. I wonder if there's someone here this morning who hasn't obeyed the gospel. If you haven't, then you're you're outside of Christ and you need to be in Christ. You need the, the forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says that when you obey the gospel, he'll add you to his church. If you've heard the word and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you, you're willing to repent of your sins and confess him, that you believe that, then we'll immerse you this morning into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you need the prayers of the Christians, we'll be so happy to pray with you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.